Vacation alert from the three-row Jeep Grand Cherokee L. Mama and Papa want to go hiking. Los abuelos want to relax at the beach. And the kids want to go to the amusement park. With seating for up to seven, you and your loved ones can enjoy all these adventures and more. Jeep, there's only one. Visit jeep.com to learn more. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Bike Radar podcast. My name is Simon Bromley and this is another episode in our Ride Strong series. Today I'm joined by Tom Bell, professional cycling coach and elite mountain bike racer, to discuss fitness testing, why you should do it, how you should do it, and what you should be trying to achieve. So, Tom, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. How are things with you? Hi, Simon. Yeah, good, thank you. Um, lockdown a little bit like uh, everyone else in the UK at the moment, but uh, uh, d- doing fine. Yeah, so um, how are things with you? Yeah, not too bad. I think exactly the same. I think like everyone else, I've just been sat on the trainer for the last sort of month and a half or whatever, but, um, you know... <laughs> It's just one of those things. I think, like, like, like you say, I think everyone's doing the same thing at the moment, so I can't really, can't really complain. But um, let's just jump straight into it. Let's uh, let's start with a kind of big open question: Why, at kind of this this point of the year, why should you be testing your fitness? Well, fitness testing or, or doing some kind of testing at the start of the year serves, I think, a few. Um, there's a few reasons to do it. Um, one is to establish a bit of a baseline um, so that you know where you're starting from. Uh, you can understand kind of where your fitness is uh, currently at and then sort of perform a bit of a gap analysis to work out where um, where that fitness needs to be compared to, to where you're at now. Um, so it can establish a bit of a baseline for then testing further down the line to, to measure your progress. So it's you've got the baseline aspect, you've got the measuring progress sort of down the line, and then you've got the ability to establish training intensity zones so that uh, you can actually 
perform the training you know, the different types of training different types of workouts at the right uh, at the right intensities for you as an individual and uh, kind of at its most basic what kind of kit is 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 kind of maybe best to have and then you know if you if you maybe don't have the best kind of kit you know what's the the second best option you know maybe maybe something like that what kind of kit do you need to be testing your fitness i think it's useful um in, if you're trying to establish some kind of performance metrics i think it's useful to to start with some kind of power meter um whether that's just a power meter that's uh, inbuilt on your indoor trainer or whether you have one on the bike that you can use both indoors and outdoors um heart rate testing is is good from a more of a subjective point of view but um it's good to have some objective data that comes comes from a power meter um so i think that's kind of the if if you were to pick one essential kind of uh piece of equipment for for performance testing i would say uh, a power meter in some form or another is a is a good place to start and if you say you know if you don't have a power meter because obviously even though the you know, prices have come down in recent years if you don't have one you know could you say you know, borrow one off a friend or maybe like visit a gym which has a you know a watt bike or something like that would that be a good option yeah exactly you could if you wanted to just use the power meter for uh for the testing purposes and you weren't too bothered about having one you know 100 of the time to do your training with you could just get some get some data from uh, an initial baseline test using power and then as long as you were kind of trying to use the same power meter and creating the same conditions for future tests you should get some relatively comparable data there where you could just um you know measure how far you've come from from one test from one test to another and what if you, you know, if you live somewhere where power meters don't exist <laughs> and you don't have, you know, you maybe can't get a heart rate monitor, obviously, you know, testing out in the real world brings a, n- a number of variables. And, you know, if you're going to go ride a kind of flat road for and see how far you get in 20 minutes, you know, that's that's going to depend a lot on the kind of atmospheric conditions and, and other things like that. But is there a way of doing performance testing outside? You know, could you find like a very steep hill for example, and, and test your time up that, would that give you kind of any relevant results or is that just going to, is that going to introduce too many variables to be relevant? No, I think that would work. I mean, it, it depends how sort of uh, accurate you, you want to be and everyone will kind of have their demands about how, how reliable that data, you know, how reliable um, they want the data to be and how deep they want to go with, you know, getting into the uh, data and analytics side of things. But um, if you, you know, used a, a climb and a, a time up a climb and tried to, again, keep the conditions relatively similar um, and try and minimize any variables be- between the tests, you could certainly, uh, you know, get some kind of idea of whether you're getting uh, faster or slower o- uh, over a certain distance or over a certain um, duration using something as simple as just riding up a hill as hard as you can. Um so, so the, there are there are always ways to to figure out some kind of information. Um, it's as I say, it's just a case of how how detailed you want to get with it. Um, and I would I, and I would sorry, and I, w- I would say as well that um, testing in the in the lab, um, even though you can get lots and lots of numbers and lots and lots of data, sometimes there there is a discrepancy between what you can actually do indoors versus outdoors. So, if you're training to ride up up that climb or over a certain course um as quickly as possible sometimes it is better to just test actually on that course rather than kind of model it in a in a lab and then try and sort of um 
translate those those kind of uh, scientific results into the real world. Sometimes it can be better and quite useful to just actually go to the real world and and um, get some some field you know some field data. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point. And I guess that's something we'll come on to a bit later in the sense that testing in the real world is in a way more specific potentially to what you're doing. And obviously when you're trying to, when you're thinking about fitness testing and you know we're going to talk about how to kind of set goals and make a training plan at a later date, um, being specific about what you're trying to achieve is obviously very important. So if you can then train in the specific place that your you know, race or event takes place, then I suppose that's always going to be useful as well. Indeed. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So let's move on to a kind of like, how would you test your fitness? And and I guess, like you said, you know, if you have a power meter uh, and it's a reliable power meter and you can kind of, you know, set it consistently to, to give you consistent data, that's the kind of best option for benchmarking your fitness, I suppose. But what are the kind of in your opinion, say the best methods of, of benchmarking your kind of current level of fitness. Now, there are you know a few things that people might have heard of, such as like FTP, critical power, power profiles. But you know, what what do you think is the kind of gold standard of fitness testing? Yeah, so I think I think there are um I think it's important to say that no sort of one testing method is um completely watertight and it doesn't, you know, isn't gonna tell you every single thing. Um so FTP testing is obviously um quite well known or the concept of FTP is quite well known and the benefit of that depending on what protocol you use is that they're they're quite easy to easy to perform especially the um kind of modified ramp uh ramp tests that you find in sort of online programs like Zwift and Trainer Road um you can sort of get it done in f- 15 minutes sometimes and um and then you've got you've got some uh, some data to to work with there um, in my opinion, I think critical power is a is um, more of a mathematically valid model to use. Um, it does require you to to do a, a few different test durations rather than just kind of like a twenty minute or thirty minute effort that you might do for for an FTP test or or indeed a ramp you know a ramp protocol. And what are the differences between uh, FTP and critical power? If we were defining FTP as the, you know the kind of general definition of FTP is functional threshold power. It's the kind of average power that a cyclist could typically sustain, the maximum average power that a cyclist could typically sustain for about 45 to 60 minutes. But what's critical power? So critical power is essentially looking for a very similar thing. Um, the critical power is essentially a threshold, so like a max sustainable um, max sustainable power, very much like FTP is. Um, but the, the actual testing method gives you... Um, data on that threshold but also your work capacity above that as well so it's it's not strictly anaerobic capacity or your you know anaerobic engine but it's it is telling you sort of two different things um other than just one single number to to represent your entire fitness um and, and is that you know I, th- I think i visited your website and i had a read of some of the interesting articles is it was it highperformance.co.uk or uh, high north high north.co.uk is the uh is the website it's high north performance is the uh is the company name yeah yeah so there you go so obviously there's a lot of great articles on there that um you know kind of explore fitness testing you know training methods how to get faster etc and and i think you know one of the most interesting articles is you're talking kind of maybe about the limitations of ftp because essentially like you say it's kind of only testing maybe one part of your 
profile as an athlete. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a very broad, um, it's, it's a single number to represent a kind of very broad thing. Whereas um, ideally you want to kind of have numbers for the different parts of your fitness, essentially. So you've got different energy systems that contribute to an effort and it's good to know if you're making progress in one over another or how uh, maybe the anaerobic capacity relates to the aerobic capacity. Um, because obviously the balance of those two will depend um, will depend on what you're trying to train for and you'll want a different balance you know, you want the balance to kind of match the demands of what you're preparing for or what your goals are. So, uh, so yeah. If you, you know, you can say that like we perform maybe an FTP test and the, the typical, as you say, typical FTP test you sort of see on, on Zwift or, uh, described in, you know, plenty of, of training books is either, as you say, you can do a ramp test now, which you kind of just ramp up the power, uh, in, in steps until failure. And then you kind of take a, percentage of that and and assume that you could do it for a as you say an extended period of time or there's a kind of a longer test which involves maybe a, a 20 minute time trial and then you you take 95 percent of that um what is the test for critical power for example and then maybe what are the you know if you if you wanted to go even further and do say a power profile test which i believe sort of gives you a picture of your kind of abilities at maybe even even more levels what what do those sort of tests look like yeah, so as you said, Simon, like an FTP test is usually just one effort, and it'll you can generate some kind of numbers from that by applying percentages and um, percentages based on sort of population data. Critical power is a, is is quite similar in that you're just performing kind of maximal maximal efforts, but ideally you're going to want a minimum of two efforts. Um, so one kind of accept, scientifically accepted protocol is a three minute, a three minute maximal effort and a 12 minute maximal effort. Um, now we've found that actually using three, three different durations, so maybe three, six and 12, um, actually gives, uh, some really reliable data. And you essentially plug that into a, a calculator that calculates your critical power, you know, applies the the mathematical um, calculations. And would you do those efforts kind of all in one ride with a kind of set rest period in between? Or would the, you know, if these are maximal efforts, are these efforts to do, say, you know, on, di- on different days so that you're fully rested for each one? So I think if you're using um, two durations, then those can be done in a, in a single day or, a, you know, a, a, single, a single ride or um yeah sort of back to back whereas with um some when you've got more than two maybe sort of three even up to four different efforts you're going to want to spread those over a different day so that you're actually getting um true maximal data and once you've you know you say you go out and you do those intervals and you come back you said you said there's a calculator kind of uh you know a formula to work out then your kind of does it, it does it kind of give you training zones once you've got that formula and where would you find uh, that formula to be able to perform that? Yeah, so so on our we've we've got a, an article on the website where we've put together kind of a downloadable um, Excel spreadsheet basically with those calculations plugged in. Um, I can't sort of probably describe it perfectly accurately off the top of my head what that the, those calculations are, but. Uh, using something like a, a, a setup Excel spreadsheet, you can just essentially punch in the the duration of the effort and then the average power that you that you did for that effort, and it'll you know work it all out. Um, and then you can really use sort of critical power or the critical power number it gives you 
uh, in a program like Training Peaks uh, in place of FTP. Um, those those kind of programs use FTP as a kind of central part of uh, their establishment of training zones and training intensities. So that's the way you could kind of put put that put that figure to use. Yeah, and I suppose that's the kind of next thing, isn't it? I suppose if you're training and maybe racing with a power meter, then I suppose the point of this fitness testing is, uh, well, as part of the point of this fitness testing is to establish training zones, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so once you, you know, you say, and what, you know, the training zones typically go from kind of zone one to zone seven, would that be right? Yeah, that's a common way of doing it. I mean, it can be as simple as uh, three zones sometimes, you know, sort of, uh, below threshold around the threshold and over um, but that can sometimes be a bit too simplistic and usually the the training platforms that people will use will typically use something like a six to seven zone model as you said and I guess it's kind of you know going from uh, it's most basic it's going from kind of zone one which is you know as easy as you can kind of pedal kind of active recovery sort of stuff up to zone seven which is sprinting essentially isn't it and and kind of everything in between uh, and then what you know, what, once you've got that information, you know, you say I've done my FTP test or I've done my critical power test, you know, I've, I've, I've done the calculations. It's, it's, you know, the kind of Excel spreadsheet has spat out my training zones. You know, what can I then do with that information? So then you'd obviously want to um, feed that into some kind of training plan that you've put together where you're going to want to identify what are the things you want to work on, what kind of adaptations you want to stimulate, um, and then what... Uh, training zones and what intensity how much time you're going to spend in these different intensities these different training zones um you know which which kind of distribution is going to be the best to actually get you the results that that you want and the the improvements in let's say the aerobic capacity versus the anaerobic capacity or if you were a sprinter you know a short a very short duration sort of racer in on the track you might want to focus more on the anaerobic side than the aerobic side so you use the training intensity zones to essentially spend time spend different amounts of time in in those in those zones to to facilitate the adaptations that you need to see to achieve whatever you're trying to do and is that kind of where having the power meter day-to-day really comes into its own because obviously it's it, you know it's one thing having the power meter kind of to uh, establish those baselines and then to then retest at a later date to see if you've made improvements. But I suppose for that day-to-day, you know, when you're going out, you're doing your training, you know, if you're trying to target your aerobic endurance zone that you've established, obviously you need some way of knowing whether you're, whether you are. Yeah, that's it. It's um, as we said, you could use, you know, a power meter just for testing and then, and then heart rate uh, or some kind of more rudimentary system between, between that. Um, and you can use heart rate actually for those sort of long, steady rides um, where intensity isn't fluctuating too much within the ride. But um, it's when you're uh, using sort of, you know, interval based workouts that you, you're going to want the the reactivity of a power meter that can sort of respond almost almost instant, instantaneously to your changes in, in effort level. Whereas heart rate has a, a lag associated with it that might sort of skew um the way that you can monitor in real time what what intensity you're doing and if you were looking then at how much time you spent in these different intensity zones on a per ride basis or maybe over the course of a week that heart that lag associated with heart rate might cause some issues there and not fully you know represent actually what you did 
like you said though maybe if you you know you really just can't you know you got you could you don't have access to a power meter uh is it still you know you like you said you still you can still do some targeted training with a heart rate monitor isn't that right and, and i suppose you know if you were going to do if you couldn't access a power meter is it worth establishing a kind of um a set of zones using uh heart rate for example like maybe I've heard I've heard sort of people talking about doing threshold heart rate tests, for example, and then using that information to establish, you know, your kind of zone one heart rate, your zone two heart rate, zone three heart rate, etc. Yeah, you can definitely do that. I mean, it's um, it's going to give you something to work towards. And even though heart rate does sort of have a few variables associated with it that can mean it fluctuates from from day to day, it can still give you some really useful information. Um, and I think it's worth noting as well that. Um, RPE or rating of perceived exertion. So essentially just being honest with yourself in the moment of how hard am I, do I feel like I'm working? Um, you know, if you pay attention to that ride after ride, you start to really kind of calibrate your sensations quite well and um, your kind of internal feelings about how hard or how easy you're working can actually, you know, guide you quite a lot, a lot of the way with um, trying to balance your intensities. Yeah, and I suppose the you know the big benefit of that is it's free, right? Like I think I think apps like Strava and Garmin Connect will also uh, they have a sort of little slider scales for you to record uh, record that kind of information. So I think that's a really good one. And and like you say, if you kind of combine that with heart rate, you know you're still getting some kind of data to inform your kind of training, and and then hopefully you know, maybe you can't track specific improvements to your, to the power that you're outputting, but you can still tell, you know, am I, you know, training in kind of around the kind of ballpark that I want to be for the kind of goals that I have? Yeah, precisely. Um, it's just, it, it, heart rate's a nice, inexpensive, accessible way of doing that. And it gives you some, some, uh, some data that you can actually track, you know, within a workout when you do sort of a post-workout analysis, um, and then combine that with RPE and you've got, um, two bits of information that you can use really well together. And if you're a power meter user, for example, is it also worth having the heart rate data and that and that RPE or rate of perceived exertion as well? Because you know, personally, that's something that you know I like to use as well. And you know, if when I'm looking at my power data, you know, I, I like to check the average heart rates for intervals and think, you know, did I just try harder in that interval? And that's why my average power was higher, or you know, it has the relationship between my power going up and my heart rates maybe coming down? And is that a good way of maybe? You know, saying, oh yeah, I think I am definitely getting fitter. Yeah, definitely. Um, having having a power meter on its own, you know, it's um, ha- having heart rate there. You know, makes the power data more valuable, and and vice versa as well, because you've got you've got an internal measure and an external measure. You know, subjective data and objective data, and there's a relationship between the two, and you start to understand what what that relationship looks like under normal circumstances. Then you can sort of see. You can use that information to determine whether you're, you know, getting too fatigued or whether things are moving in the right direction. So, you know, if your power's going up, generally speaking, relative to it, and your heart rate's kind of going in the opposite direction, um, that might suggest that you know you're becoming more efficient. Um, and you can use both sets of data to complement each other to to give you more insights, essentially. And if you do have a power meter, where is the kind of best place to do this sort of fitness testing? Um, you know, personally, I, I quite like to do it on the turbo trainer because you know, a lot of my training is done on a time trial bike and, and riding a time trial bike outside in the winter. And, you know, obviously there's, there's lots of influences of traffic and things like that. It can be, can be quite difficult, but 
that I, you know, I do worry that maybe it's slightly less specific than putting the power down in the real world. Um, you know, what, what would your kind of recommendations to do? If, if you do have access to a power meter and a heart rate monitor and all these things, would you recommend doing your kind of fitness testing on turbo because it's more repeatable or perhaps outside because it's more specific? I think, I think for every individual, there's um, a bit of a different discrepancy between indoors and outdoors. Some people it's almost the same and they don't seem to be too affected by, you know, heat and, uh, uh, sometimes motivational issues that can go along with indoor training. Um, whereas other athletes, there's a big discrepancy. So I think, um, if you train in both domains, you can under- start to understand kind of how big that gap might be if, if there is a gap and then kind of account for that. But I suppose if you're, if you said, I'm going to do all of my testing indoors and I'll keep that sort of uh, environment as as constant as possible even if the numbers are slightly different outdoors at least you can then have comparable sort of testing data if you've kept everything indoors for instance um so that you can actually measure measure an improvement and then you just kind of account for uh you know maybe that your power is higher uh, outdoors for a given perceived exertion um but it can it can keep in those doing things in that way might might work quite well because as you say you minimize all those sort of things that can get in the way of a test outdoors when you're indoors. So you, you remove the traffic, you remove, um, <laughs> you know, all, all of those things really. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's one of the, we always, I think I'm sure many, many people are kind of aware of those, uh, of stories of pros doing kind of, uh, FTP tests up mountains and things like that. But obviously for those of us who don't live at the foot of the cold, you know, Dilla Madone, it, <laughs> That, that sort of thing is, isn't really possible. And especially if you're doing kind of longer intervals, maybe 12-minute intervals for, like you say, critical power or a 20-minute interval for an FTP test, you know, it can be really difficult to find a stretch of road where you can put the power down at 100% for 20 minutes without any kind of interruptions. And, I, you know, I don't know about everyone else, but when I'm at, you know, minute 17 of 100% effort, you know, my form is all over the place. And the last thing I need to be thinking about is kind of, you know, corners and cars and and, and all those sort of things so yeah (laughs) yeah it's nice to it's nice to have those those variables uh, and those obstructions removed and you can just focus on you know just actually actually just just the effort itself and trying to actually produce some a good maximal effort I guess that you know we kind of talked I I kind of brought up my TT bike as well there and, and and this is another thing that's maybe specific to people who ride you know multiple different types of events you know, should my fitness testing, for example, if I was to do an FTP test on my time trial bike in the aero position, I think I'd come out with, you know, maybe 10 or 15 watts less than I can produce on a road bike where the position is much less aggressive, I'm more upright and things like that. You know, how important is it to test on the bike that you are going to be doing your kind of race or event on? Yeah, I think if your if your main goal for for the season or uh, you know the main goal that you're working towards currently is very tied to one specific bike or one specific discipline that might you know like mountain biking or a time trial bike and that kind of thing, it it will really help if you do that testing on that bike so that when you then come closer and closer to the actual date of that goal happening, uh, you know that goal event, um, you can be sure that you're actually. The, the numbers that you're producing there are probably going to be reproducible in the actual competitive event because um, there are differences in, you know, muscle activation, the amount that you can potentially, uh, you know, how well you can breathe effectively if you're in sort of uh, 
in the drops versus on the top of a mountain bike handlebar. Um, so being being as specific as you can with that, I think is is always going to produce the best the best information. Okay, well we've been talking for about twenty five minutes now, so I think that's probably getting close to kind of enough on this because you know we're gonna. I think in the next podcast we're gonna you know tell you a bit about you know once you've got all this data, you know you you've been a a good boy or a good girl and you've done the testing you've got your zones we're going to we're going to tell you you know basically what to do with that information but we'll kind of wrap up with you know the kind of headline takeaways and maybe set set our lovely listeners a bit of homework um if you've got say you know a power meter like we said or a heart rate monitor and or maybe you know a, a nice kind of long climb for you to go do a test on you you know go away do a bit of fitness testing set yourself a benchmark and i think you know the, the thing when i started out one of the the big things for me was that you know how do you pace a kind of 100% 20 minute effort because if you know if you haven't done one of those before that that that's a long that's a long interval and if you go out too hard you're going to really die at the end so do you, would you have any tips for people kind of testing themselves for the first time yeah, I would say, um, especially for some of the critical power stuff, as well as any testing where you're going to do a maximal effort, if you're not um, experienced in doing that before, I think just take all the pressure off yourself on the sort of first one or two times that you give this a try and just essentially run through a familiarization trial um, and just just have a go at it. And then if, if it all goes wrong or if a, f- a few things aren't quite uh, optimal, then uh, you can just take that learning into the next one um, and eventually you'll 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 get it. So you're getting actually really reliable data because there's there's not really any point doing doing one knowing that it didn't go particularly well, but then sort of trying to cobble together some uh, some useful information from it because it it might just end up that your training zones get set wrong, and then that next period of training might just be at the the, the wrong intensity for what you're actually trying to do. So I think just take the pressure off for the first few and um, until you feel like you're getting it right, and then have a really good go at it once you've once you've learned that sort of stuff we'll kind of touch a bit more i guess on the kind of future stuff as well um with the kind of you know setting goals and training plan podcast but how often do you think people should kind of be retesting their fitness because obviously it can be quite physically stressful to do a what to do 100 efforts um so how often would you kind of recommend retesting fitness yeah i think you've got to meter out your your motivation um you've got to try and not get too tired from doing testing too often and you don't want to take away sort of training time by having you know every other week dedicated to just doing fitness testing um you actually do need to do the do the training to then improve <laughs> those test results um so i would say maybe once every eight to 12 weeks is a good way to do it. You know, usually people will structure the training in four week in four week blocks or what are called mesocycles. So if you go through sort of one or two of those um, with those mesocycles focused on developing one or two key things, then you can then uh, allow yourself enough time to do that training, allow enough time for the adaptations to occur and then retest um, at a fairly routine uh, frequency, but not one that's too often that it's, it's really grim and just you know you're just hating uh hating the training program yeah i mean it's quite an effort isn't it i always dread the ftp test even though of course you know it doesn't matter and i kind of know that you know i mean well unless you're a brand new cyclist you kind of have you should probably have an idea of what your level is you know you're not you're probably not going to hit the kind of ftp that a tour de france cyclist hits and that's fine like it's ultimately it's just a number for kind of helping set a benchmark for yourself that it's so hopefully you can make some improvements isn't it 
It is, yeah. And and actually, if you've been training for quite a while and you've got a long training history, you know, I've found anecdotally and actually some scientific papers have shown this as well, that people can get a good sense of when they're, you know, at their limit and whether, you know, when they step over that, that fatigue comes in really fast. And then if they drop slightly below a certain level that they can actually ride for a, for a long time. And you can actually sort of intuitively identify a rough range for where that max sustainable power that kind of threshold level is so sometimes even irrespective of testing you can sometimes have a fairly accurate idea if you pay attention to your sensations in training you can have a a good idea of where that might be and that can then inform how you might want to pace uh whatever test protocol that you that you that you use yeah, I think I, there's a really great anecdote um, from Chris Boardman, and he was kind of, I think he, it was a quote about time trialing, and I, I can't remember where I've seen it before, but he always said that the kind of question you should be asking yourself during a time trial, and I suppose this, you know, therefore applies to kind of any interval where you're kind of trying to do your maximum, is, is this pace or power or whatever sustainable for the remaining duration of whatever you're doing? And the kind of answer you're looking for is a maybe, yeah, yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah, because if you're going too hard and it's not sustainable, then you're not going to be able to finish at that power. But likewise, if you think, yeah, this is definitely, I can do this, then you're you're not going 100%. So I, I guess that's, a, that's the kind of rough guideline that I use. Yeah, exactly. In the same vein, I think for something that, you know, for an effort like 20 to 30 minutes, you almost want... Uh, if you split it into thirds, you almost want that first third to feel like you could be doing more. The sort of middle third is to be, okay, this feels about right. And then that last that last you know portion is like a maximal effort and you're kind of just going as hard as you can. You definitely don't want to be questioning things and being uh, wondering if you, if you can sustain this in that first, in that first part, because it'll probably be that you're going too hard and that fatigue can build, you know, can, can come onto you quite quickly if you're uh, if you go if you are going too hard because you're over that threshold you know all these fatiguing metabolites are building up and uh, and it, it, yeah as I say it can come on quite fast. All right, well I hope that hasn't put anyone off. Like we said, it, it, it's you know all of the of these kind of benchmarks are just to set this is just to set benchmarks for yourself, and it's probably not worth comparing yourself to you know, a kind of Chris Froome or a Tajay Pojakar, because ultimately those guys are, you know, special athletes. And all you're trying to do is set benchmarks for yourself so that hopefully, you know, as we'll we'll talk about in our next podcast on training plans and setting goals, you can kind of make some self-improvement. So as I said, a little bit of homework for everyone, go do a fitness test, sort of establish your critical power or, you know, an FTP, something like that, set your training zones. And then in a week's time, we'll tell you what to do with them. So, that all just leads me to say thank you very much, Tom, to joining me. Yeah, thanks, Simon. It was good to uh, good to talk through that. And thanks very much to our lovely audience for listening to this podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, that really helps other people find this podcast, which really helps us. And if you see the kind of uh, article on biteradar.com where we post this podcast, you know, leave us a comment. If you have any questions for Tom, Again, leave us a comment. We'll we'll try and get them to him at some point and and leave you a reply to that. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bike Radar.